Welcome to Scholastic Reads, our podcast about books, authors, and the joy and power of reading. I'm your host, Suzanne McCabe, Editor-at-Large at Scholastic. Thank you for joining us. When you hold a new book in your hands, the rest of the world seems to fade away. Lots of great new titles from Scholastic are hitting the shelves this fall, bringing the promise of adventure to our young readers. We wanted to give you a preview of the books you can look forward to, so we invited some of our authors to read aloud. First, Tammy Charles will read All Because You Matter, her love letter to black and brown children. Next up, Christina Suntornvat will take us inside the pages of Icing on the Snowflake, the latest title in her popular chapter book series, Diary of an Ice Princess. Christina's adventures for young readers begin with a simple premise. What if Frozen's Elsa went to regular school? If you have Elsa fans in your house, this is the series for them. We'll also hear from Brazilian author Vito Martins. He'll share an excerpt from his new queer romance, Here the Whole Time. It's a story about the magic of first love, but also explores the insecurities that many teens feel around body image. Then, Kara McDowell will read from her novel for young adults, One Way or Another. It's a great read for fans of Jenny Han's To All the Boys I've Loved Before. For 8- to 12-year-olds who enjoy horror and spooky mysteries, Deka Herman will read from her suspense-filled debut novel, Hide and Seeker. Last but not least, middle-grade favorite Kelly Yang will read the opening pages of Three Keys, the highly anticipated sequel to her debut bestseller, Front Desk. We hope that you and your children will enjoy the episode. Hi, I'm Tammy Charles, author of All Because You Matter, illustrated by Brian Collier. They say that matter is all things that make up the universe, energy, stars, space. If that's the case, then you, dear child, matter. Long before you took your place in this world, you were dreamed of like a knapsack full of wishes carried on the backs of your ancestors as they created empires, pyramids, legacies. Building, inventing, working beneath red hot suns and cold blue moons, thinking of you years ahead because to them, you always mattered. On the night you were born, stars sprayed across the sky, each one full of light, hope, love, and all the moments in your life that would matter. Like your first steps, bare feet planted on cold floor, hobbling, wobbling, toppling, only to stand and try again. Or your first words, Spoken almost like a lullaby, notes climbing a ladder to the sky. Mama, papa, mahalkita. Or the first time you opened a book like a mirror staring back at you and really saw yourself. Same hair, same skin, 
same dreams. The words and pictures coming together like sweet jam on toast, musica blasting through barrios, sun and blue sky, all because you matter. But in galaxies far away, it may seem that light does not always reach lonely planets, covered moons, stars unseen, as if matter no longer exists. And just like moons hidden in the dark, there will be times when you too will question your place in the universe. Like the time you'll hear the teacher call your name, Hosam, Uzomaka, Yordenes, and the whispers and giggles begin, followed by, what kind of name is that? Or the time you'll see a letter, big, bold, red on the page, and you will question if you and your work and your effort matter. Or the time when your pop-up turns on the news and you see people everywhere. Take a breath, take a stand, take a knee. And you hear pop-up's whispered prayers as another name is called, Trayvon, Tamir, Philando. And you wonder if they or you will ever matter. But did you know that you do? Did you know that you were born from queens, chiefs, legends? Did you know that you were the earth? That strength, power, and beauty lie within you? Did you know that you are sun rays, calm like ocean waves, tough like montañas, magic like stars in space? And on the day the universe was created, you were thought of, dreamed of, carried like a knapsack full of wishes as planets, stars, moons took their places, making room for you, your people, their dreams, your future. All because since the beginning of time, you mattered. They mattered. We mattered. And always will. This is Christina Suntornvat, and I am the author of the Diary of an Ice Princess chapter book series. The newest book in this series is called Icing on the Snowflake, and I'm so excited that it comes out on September 15th, 2020. So I'm going to read a chapter from this book for you today. In Icing on the Snowflake, Lena and Claudia are attending the wedding of the year. Lena's older cousin is getting married, and it's going to be a huge huge event. It's happening at her grandfather's castle and Lena's whole family is involved. They're they're all so excited to prepare for the wedding and they're all helping to do different things. It's a very fun time with all the family around, but it's also a very stressful time. So you can imagine that this is not the time where Lena should be having any icy escapades with her snow powers. But of course, this is Lena, so she cannot help but get into a little bit of magical mischief. 
So in this chapter, Lena and Claudia are getting ready to go to the rehearsal dinner, which is a very fancy formal event, and they're excited about it, but they are not excited about the uncomfortable dresses that they're supposed to wear. So this chapter is called Snip Snap. Only a few family members went to the wedding rehearsal, but everyone was invited to the rehearsal dinner. By this time, Granddad's castle was filled to the top with family from all over the skies. Every wind tamer, winter heart, spark archer, and sky painter was in attendance. (gasps) Lena, you've got a stain on your dress, gasped Mom. She spit on a napkin and wiped it all over me. Ew. Don't let your great Aunt Eastia see it. The dinner is about to start and all the guests are here. But mom, all the guests are our family. They already know that I always have stains on my clothes. Claudia turned to my mom. Miss Gale, how about I take Lena to our room and we'll try to get that stain out. My mom nodded. Thank you, Claudia. Just be back in the ballroom in time for dinner. And Lena, remember what we talked about. Be on your best behavior. I scratched at my legs as we walked back to our room. Even if you get the stain out, there is no way I can make it through the entire dinner in this dress. It's so itchy. My mom had ordered Claudia and me the same style dress in different colors. They were super fancy and that meant super itchy. Don't worry, said Claudia. I have a plan to de-itch these dresses. Back in our room, Gusty was whining at the door to be let out. And if you know the series, you know that Gusty is Lena's puppy dog. Sorry, buddy, I said, scratching his ears. You are definitely not allowed to go downstairs tonight. Claudia rummaged through the desk until she found a shiny pair of scissors. What are those for? Claudia said, the lacy petticoats under our dresses are the reason we're itching. They have to go. I'm a whiz with scissors. I've made all my cutoff shorts by myself. But are you sure, I asked. That sounds so non-traditional. Claudia fluffed the skirt of her dress. This thing has a thousand layers. No one's going to notice if we remove just one. You're right, I said. Let's get snipping. Carefully, we cut out the bottom layer of petticoat from my dress and then Claudia's. When we were done, I felt so relieved. No more itching. Haha, now I know how poor Gusty feels when he finally gets an ear scratch, I said. Right, buddy? Um, Gusty? We turned and realized that we had left the bedroom door open. Claudia and I looked at each other. It was the, oh, please, don't let this be happening look. We raced out the door. Gusty! Oh, no. What is going to happen? Now they have this very frisky puppy bounding through the castle when everything is supposed to be perfect. But if you want to find out, you'll just have to read Icing on the Snowflake. Thanks so much, everyone. Bye. Hi, I'm Vitor Martins, and I'm going to be reading for you from my new book, Here the Whole Time. This young adult novel, which hit shelves on November 10, is a great read if you're looking for a cute and fun queer romance. It's a story about friendship, self-love, and late-night conversations. The book covers 15 days in the life of Felipe, a fat, gay, and super shy boy. Today, I'll be reading a little sample from day six, when Felipe starts to get closer with his neighbor and lifelong crush, Caio. So, now I present to you here the whole time. I hope you enjoy it.
And now here we are, alone at home, sitting in the living room. Caio is still reading, more focused than ever, and I decide to do the same. I grab the book I bought yesterday after therapy and pick up reading where I left off. It's a fantasy novel about a girl who was raised like any other person until, on her 17th birthday, she discovers she has special powers and a mysterious past. Now shit's hitting the fan all throughout the kingdom and everyone's future lies in the hands of this girl who doesn't know how to control her powers and doesn't even try to learn how to. Have you ever read a book like this? Because I've read about 15. I can focus on the story and spend more time in leafing through the pages than actually reading. Is your book any good? Kayo asks. He's lying on the couch and I'm propped against the pillows on the floor near the carpet. I take a deep breath before answering. One of the worst I've read in my life, I said. Kyle laughs and contorts his body to get a peek at the cover. We go back to sitting in silence, but suddenly Kyle stands up and positions himself right in front of me. I need to ask you something, but don't answer unless you want to, he says, and I feel my body go cold. I hug the pillow that I was using to hide my belly, and only after a few seconds have passed do I realize that Kayo is waiting on me for a response. I nod, and that's enough for him. Why have you been so quiet all day? Is this something I've done? I don't know what to say, and I need some time to think. I expected he might question me about it sooner or later, but I wasn't smart enough to have an answer waiting for him. It's not you, it's me. I say in a very low and ashamed voice because honestly, what a crappy answer. Just last night we had this long conversation, but when you wake up this morning you were all quiet and now you're only nodding and shaking your head at me. It's so weird, Caio says, then immediately starts to apologize. I, I don't mean you're weird, okay? I'm talking about the situation and the way you change, like night and day. That's weird, not you. I laugh a little because it's funny to see Caio so concerned and apologizing so much when in fact I am actually pretty weird. That's when I get an idea that might work out great or it might be terrible. I look at the open book in my hand and my eyes find a sentence in which the protagonist says, That's enough. I shall take the reins of my destiny, change my life and finally find my love. I roll my eyes at how cliche that is, and then keep rolling them because that's exactly what I'm about to do. I will take the reins of my destiny and you get the picture. I can try to explain, I say, getting up from the floor, not looking at Caio directly. But you probably think I've lost my mind. Caio seems confused but excited at the same time. I signal for him to follow me and head to the bedroom. The curtain is thin and the room is so, is so bright. I grab a blanket from the closet, clip two ends on the top of the window and close the door. And in two minutes, I have a completely dark room, just like it would be if it were nighttime. You can lie down if you want to, I tell Caio, and then realize that it must seem like the strangest proposition of all time. Caio doesn't say anything. He lies down in his bed and I lie down in mine and you remain quiet. I need some time to gather all the courage inside me, which is usually about zero, and think about how to approach the subject. I decide to start with the truth. I can talk to you during the day because I don't like being observed. I'm embarrassed by how you might see me, 
And that's why I can only open up in the dark. You see, I am officially weird. I say all at once with a little laugh at the end. But Caio doesn't laugh. He takes some time to process this information and he looks ready to get up and leave the room at any moment. I don't want him to go. I want him to be here with me. But then he asks, why are you embarrassed? And since I don't have nothing else to lose, I give the truth another go. Because I'm fat. It's done. The word is out. The same, things, the same way things change when Caio said I'm gay, things change when I say I'm fat. Because fat is the kind of word people try to hide no matter the cost. Everyone says chubby or big-boned, but never fat. Fat is a word you can never take back. When you declare something, even if it's obvious to everyone already, it becomes real. Caio takes a deep breath and, once again, seems to be choosing his word carefully. In general, that annoys me. It's really bad to be the person who always has to wait for an answer because other people are being careful with their words. I feel fragile and I hate feeling that way. You shouldn't be ashamed of being who you are. I take a deep breath so I don't say, easy for you to say when you're skinny, Caio, and hold back because I know he's only trying to help. Anyone else might have advised me to lose weight. I'm so tired of listening to diet tips I've never asked for or exercises I don't want to try. Caio could have acted like everyone else, but it makes me happy to know that he's not like that. We remain quiet for a while. My mind goes back and forth between the relief of putting it all out there and the ridiculousness of needing to hang a blanket over a window in order to tell the guy I like that I'm fat. Luckily, my mom walks through the front door, calling my name. I run to open the bedroom door and step out of the darkness. Caio is right behind me, and we spend the rest of the afternoon pretending like nothing ever happened. Hello, my name is Kara McDowell, and I'm going to be reading for you from my new book, One Way or Another, a YA novel that hits shelves on October 6th and is a great read for fans of To All the Boys I've Loved Before by Jenny Han. It's a sliding doors holiday rom-com about Paige, a girl who struggles to make decisions because she's always thinking about the worst case scenario. When she's given the opportunity to spend her Christmas break in New York with her mom or at a snowy mountain cabin with the boy she secretly loves, she can't decide until fate steps in in the form of a slip and fall. Paige bumps her head and the story splits into two timelines exploring both options. I'll be reading an excerpt from chapter one. Paige is sitting on a water tower with her best friend Fitz. He has just broken up with his longtime girlfriend and she has a letter burning a hole in the back of her pocket explaining that she's in love with him and doesn't think they should be friends anymore. Fitz looks up at me from under his lashes and my breath catches in my throat. Why does my breath still catch like one of those girls in one of his movies? When will my brain accept the fact that I'm not the heroine in Fitz's love story? His expression shifts from mopey to serious, his blue eyes trained on mine. Even after all this time, one look from him can make my stomach falter and my mouth dry. And suddenly I want to burn the letter in my pocket, the one that highlights all the reasons why we can't be friends anymore. It's messy and vulnerable and written in excruciating detail, and it boils down to this. I hate how much I love him. For the first time all evening, I'm certain I won't give him the letter, because I don't want to live in a world where he doesn't look at me like this. 
Want to see something cool? He asks, turning his attention to his phone. His bad mood vanishes and the weird tension between us breaks. He opens the weather app and pulls up the forecast for Williams, Arizona, a tiny mountain town near Arizona's northern border where Fitz's family owns a cabin. Snowflake icons begin the day after Christmas and continue for the rest of the week. Are you trying to kill me? I moan enviously. As a born and raised Gilbert kid, snow is nothing more than a fairy tale, only as real as the stories Fitz tells me. I know it's a few days early, but Merry Christmas. Excuse me? This is your present, he gestures to the screen. What do you mean? It's about time I made good on my promise. His eyes search mine, looking for an answer to a question he hasn't asked. I'm transported back to a night two years ago. My face flushes hot despite the chill nipping at my cheeks. I wonder if he's thinking about it too. Are you serious? It's not Venice, but who needs Venice? I grip the railing in front of us with both hands to stop myself from throw throwing my arms around him. Hugging Fitz is a clear violation of my rules. My rules for touching are as follows. It is only acceptable when it is accidental, bumping my knee against his when we're watching a movie, helpful, brushing a bug from his hair, or necessary, swatting his shoulder when he's being annoying. Maybe I should add another category for spontaneous, cannot-be-helped touching. How many categories is too many? You do, Fitz says, bringing my attention back to our conversation. You need Venice and Florence and Milan and Rome, and that's just one country. Okay, okay, I get it, I laugh, giddy at the thought of spending winter break with him and his family. I can't give you those places, but I can show you a snow-covered town at the mouth of the Grand Canyon. You in? He rubs his hand on the back of his neck, a dead giveaway that he's nervous. As if I'd say no. Of course, I don't expect you to give me all of Europe. I laugh again because how ridiculous would I have to be to turn my nose up at his cabin because it's not nestled in the Swiss Alps. Fitz knows as well as anyone how deep my wanderlust runs. When I lie in bed at night, surrounded by pictures ripped out of travel magazines, I imagine future lives as a ranch hand in Montana and a sheep herder in Ireland and a churro maker in Spain. I don't know if I love sheep or even churros, but nothing summons a panic attack faster than the realization that if I'm extremely lucky, I'll get one of these imagined futures. One. I'm paralyzed by the fact that walking through one door is essentially slamming shut 50 or 100 or a million other ones. When do you leave, I ask? Tonight. The truck's packed and ready. I'll pick you up early the day after Christmas. We'll turn around and be back before the snow hits. Snow. I shake my head still in disbelief. Do I need special clothes so I don't freeze to death? My sisters have plenty that you can borrow. As long as my mom says yes, which you know she will, I guess I'll see you in a few days. I get to my feet, unable to suppress my grin. I've been dying to go to Fitz's cabin for ages, and he's invited me up a few times during the summer, but the timing never worked out. Until now. What's that? Fitz plucks the letter out of my back pocket, raising an eyebrow at his name scrawled across the envelope. Hey! I lunge for it, my feet slipping on the damp aluminum. My arms scramble through the air, my fingers slipping off the metal railing. Whoa! He grabs my waist, steadying me. Are you okay? I nod, too shaky and breathless to say anything. Holy crap, I thought you were going to fall. He tilts his wrist so we can both see how high his heart rate has spiked. So did I. 
He slowly removes a hand from my waist and gently presses two fingers to my neck, tracking my pulse. I nearly stop breathing. A lazy smile spreads across his face. Damn, you were scared. Mm-hmm, I agree, secretly thinking that the feel of his warm fingers on my cold skin is having more of an impact than the near fall. His hand drops and he releases my waist. We both look over the edge, taking in the 50-foot drop. Get out of the car or stay in the car. Climb or don't climb. Tell him or don't tell him. This is what I mean about decisions. I could be smashed against the wet cement at this exact second, and it's impossible to untangle the reason why. Is it because Molly dumped Fitz? Because I drove out here to either break off our friendship or cheer him up? Because I climbed the tower? When bad things happen, I want to know where to put the blame. I hate the swampy maze of endless regret that comes with wondering. So, I take a shaky breath, stealing myself for the trek down the ladder. I'll see you after Christmas. Unless you bail on me again, he says softly. Surprised, I meet his eyes. We don't ever talk about that night, and I'm not sure what to say. Never mind, he shakes his head. See you after Christmas. I'm sorry. I messed up. I regret it. I could say any of those things and mean it, but I'm dealing with a racing heart, shaky hands, and only a fraction of the bravery I'd need to say those words out loud. My mind spins as I retrace my steps backward, down the ladder, past the warmly glowing twinkle lights, and into my car. I think about decisions and paralysis and regret the whole way home, and it's not until I pull into my driveway that I realize that tonight's tragedy will not be almost falling off the water towel. It'll be the fact that I left the letter with Fitz. Hi, I'm Dacre Herman, and I'm going to be reading from my new book, Hide and Seeker. This middle grade novel hits shelves this fall on September 15th and is a great read for ages 8 to 12 and fans of horror and spooky mysteries. In Hide and Seeker, a group of kids attend the welcome home party for their friend Z who returned after disappearing mysteriously a year ago. At the party, they play a creepy game of hide-and-seek, and the next day a kid from the party disappears, then another one. Soon they realize something is hunting them. They have to figure out what and why before they all disappear forever. In Chapter 2 of the novel, the kids, Justin, Nia, Lyric, Carla, Quincy, and Shay, arrive for the party and choose a game to play unknowingly setting off a creepy chain of events that bring their nightmares to life. Carla Jenkins and her twin brother Quincy stroll into the backyard. My mom used to say they weren't bad kids, only misunderstood. Most days they're really misunderstood, especially Carla. Hey Dumbo, she says to me. I roll my eyes. I have big ears. It used to bother me Then Nia said that in some cultures, big ears mean good luck and that you're a good listener. I'm not so sure about the luck part most days. When my mom was having really bad days, I would wiggle my ears and she would laugh like it was the best thing ever. For a little while, she was happy, but then I slammed the door closed on those thoughts. I can't go there, it hurts too much. Carla swats a sagging streamer as she walks around. Is this it? She's in our grade, but people always think she's older. She's taller than all the other students at our school. Sometimes she has trouble sitting in the desk. Some welcome home party. This sucks, she says. 
It does now that you're here, Lyric mutters. He places the presents back on the table and moves so there is space between him and Carla. Her head snaps around and she glares at Lyric. Seen your daddy lately or you gotta wait until visiting hours? Lyric stiffens like concrete is flowing through his veins. Overall, he's pretty chill about everything, but he has one button you don't push, the don't talk about my family button. Carla just stomped on it. Red blotches appear on his neck and spread to his pale face. He steps to Carla. What'd you say? Carla sticks her chin out. You heard me. This girl is acting all kinds of stupid. Lyric opens his mouth to say something, but but Nia jumps between them and shoves Lyric back. His right eye twitches and he never looks away from Carla, who smirks, flashing a crooked smile. Her mission to irritate is accomplished. Lyric, did you know that most common types of bullying are verbal and social, asked Nia. She's all talk. Don't let her get to you. Whatever. He wasn't going to do nothing, Carla says, popping a piece of candy into her big mouth. That wasn't nice, her brother Quincy says with a frown. He's smaller than Carla and not as annoying most days. She stares at him for a moment, then turns away to look for more treats. Why did Mrs. Murphy have to invite them? I reach for the puzzle piece in my pocket. I run my fingers along the edge of the frayed cardboard. After my mom died, I had to see a counselor because I had trouble dealing with everything going on. I missed her, missed Z, and I felt too much at once. I hated the sessions at first because they didn't help, but after a few months, I learned how to handle stuff. I haven't had a real bad panic attack in a month. I'm not going to let them ruin my new record. The back door squeaks open. Mrs. Murphy exits carrying a tray of bottled water and soda. Carla? Quincy? I didn't know you were here. She sets the drinks down on the table. Yes, ma'am. We came in the back way. Carla smiles so sweet I get a toothache. Nia rolls her eyes. Lyric coughs and whisper shouts, posers. He's lounging in a chair with his long legs stretched out. He looks relaxed, but I know better. The anger is still simmering in his blue eyes. I'm glad you made it. Mrs. Murphy peeks over her shoulder. Z is almost ready. I exchange a glance with Nia. What's taking so long? Lyric pushes to his feet and walks toward the house. I can help. No, says Mrs. Murphy. We jump. She laughs nervously. Everything is under control. I just want all of you to have fun. How? Carla asks with her hands on her hips. Why don't y'all play a game until I send Z out, Mrs. Murphy says, her eyes pleading with me. I'm sure you can come up with something. I hold back a sigh. Yeah, we can figure it out. Thank you, Mrs. Murphy says. There's a loud crash from inside the house. I'll be right back. She hurries up the stairs and through the back door. Nia turns to me. Justin, what are we going to play? Quincy asks as he dances away from a large flying bug. His skinny arms rotate faster than blades on a fan. He swats the bug down to the ground and stumps on it until it's deader than dead. Hate bugs, he mumbles. I want to play dodgeball, blurts out Carla. Of course she does. The goal of the game is to hit someone. Hard. She was captain of our middle school dodgeball team until she got kicked off for being too violent. No ball, Nia says. I knew that's stupid, Carla mutters. Nia's eyes narrow. She crosses her arms. Any fool can know. The point is to understand. Albert Einstein said that. 
Carla stares blankly. What? Exactly. Nia holds up her closed fist and then opens her hand. She drops the mic. Boom. I rub a hand over my mouth to hide my smile. She's awesome. Hi, I'm Kelly Yang, and I'm the author of Front Desk and Three Keys, the sequel to Front Desk, which is hitting shelves on September 15th. Three Keys is a story about friendship, about allyship, about standing up for what's right, and about coming together as a community during turbulent times. It's the perfect book to read if you loved reading Front Desk because you'll get to see what Mia and her friends are all up to next. Chapter one. A very wise person once told me that there are two roller coasters in America, one for the poor and one for the rich. I've only been on one of those roller coasters and I thought I was never going to get off. But as I watched my best friend Lupe decorate the Calavista Motel pool with silver and gold lights, a smile stretched across my face. The lights were the kind you put up at your house at Christmas. Even though it was the middle of August and the summer sun beat down on us, it sure felt like Christmas. We were owners now. We had bought the motel from Mr. Yao and we were finally going to run it our way. A little to the left, Mrs. T, one of the weeklies called, pointing to the barbecue at the pool sign. She and the other weeklies, Hank, Mrs. Q, Fred, and Billy Bob, were also helping set up. They were our regular customers at the motel, but they were so much more. They were family. Hank smiled at the sign. The barbecue was his idea. It was part of his friendlier and warmer rebranding of the Cala Vista. And it was going to be delicious. We were having Hank's tangy sweet baby back ribs, Fred's corn on the cob, and my mother's fried rice. Hank adjusted the sign and we all stood back to admire it. Lupe's dad, Jose, gave a holler and a thumbs up from the roof. I waved back at Jose. Ever since we took over the motel, he'd been working almost exclusively at the Calavista, which meant I'd gotten to hang out with Lupe all summer long. My mom rushed out from the manager's quarters with a large cooler full of ice and my dad trailing after her. Don't take that out so early, my dad cautioned. The ice is going to melt. My mom placed a cooler beside the table with the napkins and drinks. Then I'll just run out and get some more, she said. You'd think that now that we were making more money, my parents would stop bickering. But every morning, my dad still pours the cooking oil he saved from the previous night's dinner into the breakfast pan, saying, don't waste in Chinese. And he still pulls a square from the toilet paper roll to wipe his nose instead of using a Kleenex. It's like he still doesn't believe any of this is real, that if he doesn't save every penny, it'll all disappear. I walked over to the plastic pool chairs where my dad sat and bent down next to him. We're on the good roller coaster, Dad, I said to him. Things are going to be different. You'll see. The stakes are high in this year's presidential election, giving us a vital opportunity to engage young people in the democratic process. Students in kindergarten through grade 12 can now cast their vote for President of the United States by participating in the Scholastic Student Vote. This virtual mock election has been running since 1940. To learn more, visit scholastic.com election. My great thanks to all of the authors who joined us today. And thank you for listening. To learn more about our fall titles, check the show notes or go to scholastic.com slash podcast. 
Don't miss an episode of Scholastic Reads. Find us in your favorite podcast app and subscribe. Special thanks to producer Bridget Benjamin, associate producer Mackenzie Cutrazula, sound engineer Daniel Jordan, and music composer Lucas Elliott Eberl. I'm Suzanne McCabe. We look forward to sharing more Scholastic Reads next time.